The Mike Lupica Podcast. We are back now with the great Mike Lupica. He's one of the country's Mike most Lupica prominent Mike has covered just about every sport. Candid interviews with legends he calls friends. I was talking to Jordan about Woods after the basketball game mm-hmm. the other night. Everybody wants everybody in sports to be the next this guy, the next this guy. And Michael said, no, he's the first Tiger. In your face questions. How much of a dope is he? Compelling. A billion dollar industry, the biggest we've ever had in sports in this country, often comes down to a flip of the coin. This is the Mike Lupica Podcast. Here's Mike Lupica. Hello and thanks for joining us on the Mike Lupica Podcast. Today we're joined by my old friend, the great Buck Walter, a true baseball man. Most recently, he was the manager of the Baltimore Orioles and with pitchers and catchers starting to report, who better to have on to discuss the upcoming season than one of the smartest baseball people I've ever met. But before we get started with Buck, I want to tell you about 1-800-Flowers.com. With only two days left until Valentine's, if you don't already have your perfect surprise picked out, you're cutting it really close. Luckily for you, there's still time to win Valentine's this year with a gorgeous bouquet of vibrant red and pink roses from my friends at 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, 1-800-Flowers has amazing deals on vibrant and romantic Valentine's rose bouquets, arrangements, and more starting at just $29.99. There are so many unbelievable deals from 1-800-Flowers, but you have to hurry. Roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness and her amazement and amazement it will be. 18 romantic red roses for $29.99 is an amazing deal, but it won't last long. Pick your delivery date and let 1-800-Flowers handle the rest. When it comes to Valentine's, I don't settle for anything less than my rose authority. 1-800-Flowers.com to order Valentine's bouquets, arrangements, and more starting at $29.99, like 18 romantic red roses for $29.99, go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, and simply enter the code LUPICA. Order today and save at 1-800-Flowers.com, code LUPICA. And I, I have to tell you... um. I have used 1-800-Flowers.com. I have three adult sons. They all use it. You Here's the thing about 1-800-Flowers.com. When you get to this time of year, and especially, especially with Valentine's Day, you want a sure thing. And what I have found over my life, and, and I passed it on to my sons, is that there's no more of a sure thing than 1-800-Flowers.com. Do it today. Add the code LUPICA. Welcome back to the Mike Lupica podcast. And we are joined today by the best baseball man I know. I first met him when he was a coach with the New York Yankees. He later became the manager of the Yankees and the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Texas Rangers. Most recently, the Baltimore Orioles. Spring training is about to begin. And um, for now, for now, it begins without my friend Buck Showalter. Good morning, Mr. Showalter. Mike, how you doing? Great time of the year. Baseball, uh, what is it? Hope Springs Eternal. Everybody uh, goes to spring training with a clean slate. Everybody's thinking that that uh, rookie's going to reach his potential, that that uh, guy that's been hurt is going to be healthy, that uh, a guy been waiting to grasp the command of a breaking ball, it's there. And then, unfortunately, April rolls around and reality sets back in. So. <laughs> this is this is a time that it, as far as baseball goes, it doesn't get any better for baseball except maybe the World Series and the playoffs. 
Buck, the the last time I saw you in a baseball spring, it was the last baseball spring. You had come over to my side of Florida, and we were mm-hmm. sitting um, in your office, your little office in Jupiter, and you're getting ready for a game. And we were joined in that office by Bill Parcells and Ron Wolf. And uh, the year before, if I remember, Mike, I think uh, Coach Knight was around. But you know, it's one of those things you learn as you get older, and I learned this at an early age. You shut up, sit back, uh, tell the bench coach that I, I might be late for the first inning or the national anthem, and you listen. You listen. You listen, Mike. And you, you know, those are the moments. I'm, I think you and I share at a glance where we kind of go, you know, kind of take this in. This may not happen much more. Coach Parcells got on a roll, and then he got me stoked up, and uh, it was fun. Mike, that was fun. That's the stuff you missed. The conversations where you know there's not one of 162 to be played at seven o'clock that uh you know you've got a traveling squad that nobody in the stands really knows who anybody is so what is it like um and i'm thinking of poor angela showalter you know uh with, with you not wouldn't you not having packed up and gone to spring training for the first time in a long time well quite frankly mike it's been uh it's been nice i uh i usually go right now i saw a our uh, magnolia tulip tree in the front yard that I never get to see bloom. I actually saw it bloom yesterday. Um, got a grandson, which is extremely special. Wouldn't trade that for the world. Uh, expecting another one here shortly. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, Mike, don't cry for me, Argentina. This is, you know, I've been very fortunate. You know, I, I probably three or four times a week, I get a call from a veteran baseball person and, Mike, there's some really quality veteran baseball people out there available that can't even get a phone call back. Uh, you know, it's, it's a changing landscape, but you still got to do the same things right in order to win. But uh, it's tough uh, watching a lot of these veteran guys uh, scramble around for, for work. And uh, I don't know. It's kind of a, it's a different uh, landscape, so to speak. Buck, we lost we lost um, one of the great baseball men of all time last week in Frank Robinson. It was so ironic to me that he passed away in the same week that the great Henry Aaron turned 85. And, you know, when I went back, forget about every wonderful thing that Frank did as a baseball player. Buck, I was actually surprised to remember that he managed five different teams. I, I would like to know how many guys in the history of the sport ever kept getting that many chances. Well, Frank, you know, I got to know him at Baltimore, and uh, I love how people described him as surly. Frank was surly about about winning and losing. He really, you know, he, everything, even in his job with the commissioner's office and different things, he, it was it seemed like he was always trying to win something. I remember on, on my next to my office in Baltimore, I they had the PR department had put up framed a bunch of media covers of managers that happened to be on the front of a media cover. I've learned through the years never never get your face on a media cover, but <laughs> there was about five or six of them. And I was going on a road trip, and I guess Frank must have walked through the clubhouse, and there was a big note on my desk and with a big black sharpie said, "Where's my picture, Frank Robinson, H O F, whatever," and. uh so I got a, I found a picture of Frank, even though he wasn't on the cover, and put it up and hung that note in there. <laughs> sure enough, about two weeks later, he shows up. And I go, Frank, come here. I go, there's your damn picture. <laughs> he laughed. He thought that was funny. 
one of the great guys you know buck people who you're right people who who were lucky enough to know him and i was lucky enough to know him just a little bit i i remember when he was anybody in mike he didn't let uh, just anybody in go ahead i'm sorry no, I was just going to tell you. I used to my running joke with him when he was running discipline for Major League Baseball. When he'd come into the room, he'd say, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm just trying to sit up a little straighter." Is all. Yeah, exactly. We I called him Sheriff Frank, Buck. <laughs> we called him Sheriff Frank. Oh, he'd call me. I remember I got in some trouble. Or something he'd call me. All right, tell me what happened. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay, don't do it again. Bye. I said, uh, okay. He understood, you know, okay, well, when, he, when he had told you not to do something and you did it, you knew that was, uh, you were going to have an issue with it. But he tried to keep you from stepping on, on your tail as much as you could. Buck, we are now uh, moving up on Valentine's Day. We're moving up on pitchers and catchers. Are you surprised that neither your former shortstop slash third baseman Manny Machado has signed? And are you surprised that Bryce Harper hasn't signed yet? Uh, yes and no. I think if anybody's been paying attention to the landscape, you know, there's there's a lot of different things being said out there about, you know, implying that this is some systematical, you know, I, I really don't know, Mike, if it's owners and people who write the checks saying that this is not smart. I don't see people's books. I don't know what they have, don't have. And uh, I just... Uh, I think a lot of people are, are looking at it going, listen, do we really want to make that commitment? And if you look at the history of what type of return for you get for those commitments, I mean, Mike, how many contracts over four years or three years, really, for a pitcher can you count on one hand that the, the team looked back and said, boy, that was a really good deal, especially pitchers? You know who the and, one I, that always comes to mind, Buck, and we have talked two, two, about it two before. For two for me. Yeah, I think we have. Mike Mucina's one, okay? You and betcha. and you betcha. And and I I don't know. I I guess the Yankees still like Cece enough to keep him so around. Sabathia is one of them. Sabathia yeah, okay. So Sabathia Mucina. Sure. Yeah, that's what I I say. But the people go, well, there's uh, and then their voice trails off. I go, come on, that you really look back at now position players, you know. Mike, I mean, I, I've had the great fortune of making a million dollars in one year in the game of baseball, and it's sinful. I mean, when I can go to Target and buy anything I want to buy, and I can pay the bills, so I can't comprehend when they're getting mad about making eighteen million compared to twenty-three million. I mean, I, you know, I got it. You know, I understand that they're young and they have a certain earning power and what have you. And but at the same time, the owners, you know, okay, am I going to make X million dollars or X million dollars? It's a subject matter I'm not really aware of, so I try to stay out of it. But, you know, it's I just don't want to cook the golden goose here, so to speak, because uh, I can tell by the conversation going on. I just hope we get the purity of spring training kind of gets everybody back to realizing why we love this game. But there's some things going on with the way the game is being played. That I really worry about it turning into a game that fans kind of go, wow, uh, this isn't really exciting. You know, because it's strikeouts and it's home runs. And you know, home runs have become almost ho-hum now in a highlight reel. We're talking to Buck Showalter on the Mike Lubiga podcast. And, and again, I realize that as players come to the big leagues, 
at a younger age that they're going to go on the market younger than other guys have. So that's what's unique this year about Machado and Harper and and two players that talented being 26 years old. But, Buck, I'm looking over all the 10-year contracts or even the 8-year contracts, even for hitters, okay? The best one of all time, and then, you know, it's it's compromised because it turned out he was juicing. Manny Ramirez signed an 8-year contract with the Red Sox after he left the Indians. And those 8 years he had after he signed for 160 million were almost identical to the ones he'd had in Cleveland. Now that never happens. And here's the other oh. buck. Here's the other ones: Pujols, Cano, mm-hmm. Cabrera, Stanton, Alex Rodriguez. And and not only did Alex get a, a an original 10 million dollar contract. When it when he had a chance to opt out, they gave him another ten year contract, and by the second one, they couldn't wait for him to get to the door. So you have to at least be able to understand the thinking of these teams now and saying, "Wait, I can pay this over ten years to this guy, but I'm going to be all that much better than if I give this guy a five year contract within reason." All right. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm as pro player as they come. It's just at some point you kind of got. You know, I've had these conversations with players. You know, I had a a, a young player ask me about, uh, hey, I've got a guy that's going to pay me six or seven million dollars uh, next two years, but he's going to get ten percent of my contract the rest of my life. And I said, well, if you sign this, is your family set for life? And you know, he was from one of the, one of the Latin American countries. He goes, yeah, if I sign this, I'm done that security. And and I said, let me think about it. He was looking for advice because, you know, how do you tell this guy not to do it? Then he hurts his knee or he has a horrible year. And now all of a sudden he's back to square one. You know, I think each individual has got to think about it. Mike, how do we get on this subject with spring training around the corner? This is depressing. Yeah, I'm, Buck, I know. And, and, and the thing is, and I write about this all the time. And in my career, and, and whether it was newspapers or books or TV, I've, 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 I've always tried to make the most I can make. And for the same reason you just, yeah. for me and for my family. However, right. sometimes I look at these deals and, and the, and, and the opportunities out there. And this includes Harper and Machado. And I worry that this involves scorekeeping for the agents that that doesn't always serve the interest of the client and what i'm saying buck is sometimes you'll look at what the deal they take as opposed to the one that they reject it and you say yeah but the difference in money won't affect a single day of the rest of your life so you better go where you think you're going to do the best for your career and i'm not buck i'm not sure that always happens well they try to say well you know the the your fellow players need you to get this amount of money. I know. I know some people got upset with Markakis when he signed a one-year deal with Atlanta, about I guess a month ago. But Nick knows what he wants. He knows what he's doing. It's his family. It's his. I mean, I know Nick Markakis. One of I don't know. I don't want to say secrets, but one of the real guys in sports that a lot of people don't get. I mean, this is a guy that just. He, he's special, but he gets it. A lot of guys don't get it. I remember asking a player that uh, I just said, the only question you got to ask yourself and your wife is how much is enough? Right. What? I said, I said, how much is enough? Not really. How much is enough? Is it really worry? You know, and you know, spring training has, has, has become such a time when you're getting players as spring goes on as an, as a schedule maker for spring training, you got to be willing to add and subtract players from your camp all the time. All of a sudden, Nelson Cruz walks in the door. I tell you, one of the great signs of, of the offseason, very quietly, 
was John Scope in Minnesota and Nelson Cruz combined together. Nelson's one of those rare guys left in our game that really makes other players, especially young players, better. And that was, that was a very under-the-radar sign, Mike. Remember that I said that. Buck, you know, I, I keep looking back to last February. Last February at this time, J.D. Martinez had not yet signed with the Boston Red Sox. And Mike, that's finally, got a chance uh, to be one of those contracts. Mike, that, remember I said, that's got a chance. J.D. Martinez, the contract he signed, I was looking at it the other day. That's pretty special. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, and Buck, you're right. And I think a lot of both sides of this, players and agents, and then the teams might be looking at that contract as being a template for future deals for high-level free agents in the past. Because, Buck, as great as Machado and Harper are, okay, neither one of them over the last two years has been the hitter that J.D. Martinez is. And I I get, I know how much you love Mookie Betts, okay? And Mm -hmm. I know why he was the MVP, but there was no more important player in baseball last year than J.D. Martinez and what he did for the Red Sox batting order, for the clubhouse, for the whole thing. And it was a five-year deal. And I think it. I think the first out for him comes after um, next year. And if he chooses to exercise it, then maybe he can even make more. And the worst thing that happens is he continues to pay, uh, play for what they paid him over the five years. $110 million, Mike. You know, yeah. how much is enough? You know, it's and you're right. He was he was as much he brought everything together. He stretched out their batting order. He took all the breathing spots uh, out of their batting order. You know, he made everybody around him in the batting order better. They had so many guys that you said, okay, how many more times is he going to hit here? How can we negate? You know, him hurting us. Wait a minute. We got if we do that, we have to worry about this guy. If we do that, we got to worry about this guy. The Red Sox. Everybody talks about the moves they made and what have you. Other than having the biggest payroll in baseball, they also uh, did a great job with makeup. They evaluate the six tool as good as anybody. And when they took uh, Hanley and uh, Sandoval off that roster and added Moreland and Devers, it made them who they wanted to be. It, they played the game. And in the other dugout, you went, oh, jeez. Because who they wanted to be and what they became was so much easier with Moreland and Devers. And, you know, there wasn't anything not to, you know, there wasn't that edge you could take against them or, you know, where, hey, we're all going to play the game this way. You don't have to play that game that way. I mean, their whole club just fit then. And it was, it's like I told Aaron Boone when we were talking. I said, Aaron, you guys won 100 something games. Don't act like there was a whole lot wrong. The problem is maybe the second best team in baseball or third was in, you know, uh, you were, and the Red Sox were there. I mean, I think, Mike, there were three or four teams in the American League that were better than anybody in the National League, and the chasm between the two leagues is as big as it's ever been. We're joined by my pal Buck Showalter on the Mike Lubica Podcast. More of our conversation with Buck after a word from Geico. There's a quick way you could save money. Just switch to Geico. All it takes is 15 minutes to find out if you could save 15% or more on car insurance. And Geico offers coverage for more than just car insurance. Got a motorcycle? Geico's got you covered. Got an RV? Covered. Got a boat? Covered. How about a homeowner's or renter's insurance? You bet Geico's got you covered. Go to Geico.com today and see how much you could save. That's Geico.com. Buck, and when I look at the Red Sox, and you you talked about how the whole sport's fallen in love with the home run and it's home runs or strikeouts, I thought that one of the things that helped 
the Red Sox have one of the great seasons in the history of the sport mm-hmm. was that they're not an all-or-nothing team. That exactly. not only is their balance, Buck, in that batting order, but, but they got a whole bunch of guys who put the ball in play. And, Mike, they defended at every position. An out was an out. People, Bet, Betts plays right field in Fenway Park as good as it's ever been played. And we're talking about uh, Evans. We're talking about all these guys. And uh, Bradley plays center field as good as it can be played. And we're talking about Freddie Lynn, all these guys. So, you know, this is a team that basically didn't have Pedroia all year. And nobody even talked about it. They just went on to the next guy. And, uh, you know, Dombrowski's very good at, you know, embracing the new things going on in the game, but he's also able to evaluate that sixth tool. Because, I, I, Mike, I can't remember a time in baseball where more mistakes are being made on player evaluation, but yet we have all these tools going on. And the difference is a lot of these clubs aren't evaluating the sixth tool. They're not able to call somebody that had them 160 games a year before and say, hey, tell me what I'm missing about this guy. The relationships with people that have been on the field and the decision-makers about a person, the little things that separate good evaluation of players. You know, I'll see somebody sign somebody, I go, I wonder if they called anybody about that. I wonder if they knew about this and that and whatever. And uh, that's what the, the Red Sox do well, and the teams that are playing late in the season at a high level do a great job on evaluating makeup. Talking to Buck Showalter on the Mike Lubica podcast, and we've talked about bets and we've talked about Bradley. Uh, how about the third B in the outfield, Buck? He made the single, <laughs> he made the single most important play of the entire month of October last year, and that's Benintendi with with the catch with the bases loaded that might have changed everything in that series. But Mike, that's the thing that you have to get, and they've got is they've got a culture of defense being important that they got as much joy out of making that play as they did hitting a home run uh, to win a game because it was put on a plateau, you know, by each other. You know, coaches, managers, they kind of come and go a little bit, but the, they found the players that it was important to play defense. Jackie Bradley at one point hit 200, but he was playing Centerville as good as it could be played, one of the best throwing arms out there that same way. And all of a sudden, your best players are putting that emphasis more and puts emphasis on first base. Now all of a sudden some guys on the fence like a Bogart's Benintendi, not that he didn't care, but all of a sudden he looked around and said, this is part of the criteria of being a big league player with the Red Sox or with the Yankees. And once you're able to have everybody take that pride in that, not just something i got to go stand at until my next at bat. And you want, you want it to change as far as the strikeouts and some of the other stuff. Start getting penalized for strikeouts and arbitration and contracts. Hey, yeah, we're not going to give you that extra two years on your contract because you struck out too much. Uh, then you'll see a change in how people approach hitting. Buck, I was talking to A.J. Hinch over the winter, and because I really felt that the Astros went into that series with the Red Sox thinking that even though the Red Sox had won more games during the regular season and had just beaten the Yankees, that the Astros were still the best team. And I, I, I had a sense that they were shocked when it ended in, in five games. But he was talking about Ben Attendee's play against Alex mm-hmm. Bregman. And you know that AJ, as much as any modern manager, has embraced analytics and, and technology. But he said, you know what? Sometimes it just comes down to baseball. He said where he sits in the dugout at Minute Maid Park, he sees where every left fielder plays, okay? And he sees where every left field, and he measures them against where the thing, you know, the wall uh, ends and then it goes deeper in Minute Maid because it's funky out there. And he said... Ben attended just wasn't where he was supposed to be on on that play where everybody else was because he had been 
paying attention to what Bregman had been doing and, and the way he had been pu- pulling the ball, and he moved over right before that play, and it made all the difference. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's a baseball player play. You know, it's a, it's a player that, uh, you know, of course you may look into it and find somebody with the Red Sox uh, analytical team had him over there for a reason. I don't know. Who cares? I mean, we were doing placement of players according to where a chart told us back in the 80s in the Florida State League. The only problem is we had six or seven at-bats of the Tampa Tarpons instead of 400 plate appearances like you get to make a decision in the big league. So, um, yeah, we'll see. It's interesting. I, I love uh, a lot of the new things going on in our game. Some of them aren't that new. They're just uh, being brought up on a more consistent basis. Buck, were you resistant to shifts when they first got into play? Or I, I, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, what you think about them. No, not at all. You know, I, I like what uh, Joe and them were, uh, really started. You know, there always been some form of shifts. And this, I think the, the depth it was different. Uh, him, you know, him playing on turf was different. Uh, I think there's not as many fast runners as there used to be in a game, so you can play a shift. Uh, a lot of swings, people end up on their back backside where they don't get out of the batter's box as well. That's something a lot of people don't talk about. And, uh, no, we embraced them. It's just a matter of how much. And the big challenge was how much you adjust with the count. Say the count goes 0-2, do you do something different? But what's coming to our game, there's so many players that never change their bat angle or their approach regardless of the count. And that's that's what's changed. Used to be two strikes. You see guys choke up a little bit, try to put the ball in play, and you could not shift them with two strikes. But nowadays, o two, one two, three two, two two. It's launch angle on every swing, with with some exceptions. Buck, what's your feeling on the DH? Do you think it's just plain old inevitable that it's going to end up in both leagues? You know, Mike, I don't. I, I really don't care as long as it's the same in both leagues. I'm, I'm telling you, the double switch ain't brain surgery. Okay, you're down <laughs> uh, three runs with the bases loaded in the seventh, eighth then and you're gonna pinch it for your pitcher. You know, it's really not that that hard. And uh, actually, it's easier to keep a club happy. And uh, I think it, I found the two leagues, American League, was tougher than the National League. But uh, and most guys in both the leagues will tell you that. But. Uh, um, I, I think it's going to be an economical thing too. I mean, you're going to that gives the players another hitter that gets to stay in the game. It also, quite frankly, allows you some guys that are on the back end of their career, maybe a Nelson Cruz, maybe a Cabrera, to stay around in the game. Well, we need those guys. We need those guys in our game as much as possible because I'm I'm concerned about some avenues where our game's going right now. But um, me personally, I, I'd, I'd like to see it in both leagues. Um, just to kind of keep the players happy and keep some players in the game that need to be in the game because some of them won't be able to survive in our game if uh, if there's no DH. Buck Showalter is our guest on the Mike Lubica podcast. Much more with Mr. Showalter right after this from our friends at Kronos. FMLA, FLSA, ACA, EEOC. It's harder than ever for businesses to keep up with today's evolving alphabet soup of regulations. What's a company to do? 
Kronos. With Kronos, you can minimize compliance risk and track HR policies, making sure they are applied consistently and fairly. HR, payroll, talent, and timekeeping in one unified system, all with a proven implementation approach and simplified, transparent pricing. Learn more at Kronos.com slash compliance. Kronos, workforce innovation that works. And Buck, it's ridiculous when you get to the World Series that that you play oh, a team has played one way for a hundred and sixty two plus games, okay, and and then they got to decide what they're going to do with their DH and whether they're going to play them out of position. And it, there's there's nothing comparable to that that happens in any other sport when you get to the finals. Yeah, well, I think that's uh, uh, that's why the National League team should have an advantage. Uh, in American Lake Park you know, because they've got someone that they're willing to DH as, as compared to the American League team goes to the park where they've got to play David Ortiz potentially at first base or they got to play somebody that hadn't played much defense at all the whole year because, you know, when you're putting together a roster in the American League, you know, you can get by with a guy that's not going to defend much at all. But you can't do it in a World Series. And he's, a lot of times he's relegated to a, to a pinch hitter or you put him in a position where you ha- take him out of the game after a sixth or seventh inning. That's no good. You need to be on television this year. I, I, I know I've suggested this before, and I, I'm not asking to be your agent, but you got You ought to be talking about baseball somewhere this year. Oh, Mike, I, uh, you know, we'll see where life takes me. I don't know. I, uh, I enjoy talking with you because you get it. Not many, <laughs> you know. It's a it's a different game, but it's still the same game. I, I don't I don't embrace a lot of this stuff. There's some bright young people that I I love coming into the game that are. Uh, you know, they're going to surround themselves with people, you know, that they think are kind of like them, kind of what the veteran GMs did, too. So, you know, it's, it's like calling the kettle black. You know, it's it's fair. But the bottom line is at some point your ownership walks down and goes, listen, uh, we got the right leadership in place. Are we taking the right theories? Are we doing the right things? And, and the situation now is with all the analytics, a lot of these general managers can – show the owner exactly what they're doing statistically and this and that, whatever. And the owner feels like, well, heck, we don't need a lot of these scouts and this and that, whatever, because we can just, you know, I know how to do it because all I got to do is look at these seven or eight columns. And I asked this at a thing the other day. I said, listen, we're all using the same numbers, the same analytics, the same WOBA, the same, you know, slide and percentage. I can go over all the different stats and stuff that they use. I said, we're all using the same one. So what's the separator? It's not like somebody has some, some uh, math theory that's different than everybody else's that makes them evaluate players better. You know, whoever has the best players usually wins. And if you've got the best players with the best makeup, you really win, a la the Red Sox. So what's the separator, Mike, when we're all using the same analytics, which we basically are? Pretty easy to me. But we're talking to Buck Showalter on the Mike Lubica podcast. Buck, when I look back just on the Yankees Red Sox series, okay, and mm-hmm. and and then the Astros Red Sox, there's a, my son was saying this to me the other day because he really follows baseball closely and passionately. He said, "Dad, there's a few hundred feet of fly balls." that didn't go out of the park against the Red Sox. And, and and by the way, it may not be a few hundred. It may be a hundred feet, Buck. You know, a ball that Sanchez hit in game four. A ball that Judge hit that that may have made all the difference. And it wasn't analytics. It was just it was just fate and baseball. And and the ball yeah. not going another twenty feet in a big moment. 
Mike, that's that's the thing that uh, you know. You just go, wait a minute. How did that happen? That shouldn't have happened. I'm looking at all these papers and all this stuff. How does that happen? That's why we go to the ballpark. We have to embrace why we go to the park and because the unknown is human beings. It's you know, some Harold Reynolds years ago, we were at, doing the College World Series and they were wanting us to predict who was going to win. And they came to Harold. He had a great line. He goes, "Wait a minute!" And only Harold could say it. You want me to predict what a 19 year old kid's going to do for seven days? Exactly. He goes, come on, man, I'm not that good. Who knows? Their parents don't even know. But, Mike, it also tells you that, you know, sometimes things happen. I remember we were playing Kansas City for the American League Championship with the Orioles, and we had, man, we had a great series against Detroit, beat three Cy Young winners. We had won our division. I mean, we were this immovable. We thought that we everything was falling our way. We were we get to Kansas City, and here's another team that everything's falling their way. I mean, they're the young engine that could, little engine that could. They they were running. They could. There was just a great karma around them. And when these two forces met, there was nothing analytically that was gonna. It was like they were hitting balls that were hitting the bag and jumping up in the air. They were hitting. I remember three balls hit the bag. Ball hit the rubber. Balls hit the foul line instead of ours being two inches to the left. I mean. And I remember about the third game, I kind of said to myself, they're not going to let us have this. This is a different karma. I mean, it's just a different. So when you're able to get that culture around you, when you're adding a Moreland, you're adding the Devers, and you're adding the Bradley uh, Benintendi bets in the outfield, and they're healthy, you don't lose one of those guys during the year. That karma, that's what's so fascinating. When these two two things meet in the offseason where everybody's got this great thing going on about them, Rams and and uh, Patriots. I mean, it, that's the fascination of sports. When these two things hit, that's why Clemson can beat the heck out of Alabama on a given night because just things start steamrolling because you're playing with human beings. Okay, I'm done. Buck, you you uh, until Manny got traded, you were the only manager he had ever had in the big leagues. You know how impactful a player he is. And you've talked a lot about defense today. And you know that he can be impactful at, at two positions. He's probably better at third than shortstop. But he seems to like to play shortstop. Okay. What, do, do you, th- knowing the kid the way you know him, and I call him a kid, he's 26 years old, knowing him the way you know him, do you think um, that it is more financial with him right now? Or did he hurt himself with a couple of comments he made uh, when he got to the big stage in Los Angeles? Um, maybe a little bit of both, but uh, you know, talent plays. At the end of the day, we know he's going to sign a great contract, and he's going to, you know, talent plays. You know, uh, I think if you ask thirty managers, hey, uh, Manny Machado's going to, we're going to sign Manny Machado, are you in or not in? They're all going to say they're in. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's some damage there, I think. But I think some of the earlier what you talked about, you know, people are looking around going, ten years, nine years, eight years, seven years. Yeah, that's a long time. And, <laughs> yeah. You, know, you got to ask yourself, you're going to probably like it the first year. You might like it the last. It's the in-between years. you got to go, what are we going to get? Can we trust this guy with, you know, what's going to drive him when money doesn't matter anymore? What's going to be the driving force to, for him to compete and, you know, make his teammates better, embrace the city? I mean, for that type of, you know, money, it's more than just a statistical return. You know, man, he's so good at third base when he's engaged there. And, and, uh, and he's, you know, when you put his offensive numbers with the shortstops, uh, you know, he's special. And, you know, you compare him and Bryce, I mean, who's going to impact a team on both sides of the ball like Manny Machado? 
when he's completely engaged in things. And, I mean, it's – I can't tell you how many moments I've had where he makes a play, such at third base, and I just go, really? You know, Brooks Robinson used to say, you know, you guys can talk about me all you want. Ain't nothing like this guy. He said, I couldn't make any of those plays. And, you know, it has to come from Brooks. It can't come from me, our infield instructor. But, you know, he's he's that good at third base. He's the best I ever saw at third base. I mean, I I saw him and Arenado play in a series, and everybody was talking about how good Arenado is, and he's fantastic. But getting to sit in the first base dugout and see both of them in between pitches, the reaction time, you know, everything that's going on, please. Man, he's as good as I've ever seen. You know, when you were talking about even someone this gifted and this young, and you say, well, yeah, what, what's it going to be like in eight years or nine years or ten years if I give him one of those contracts? I remember – A lot of clubs don't care. They, what you got to do with something like this, you got to go, listen, what happens there, you know, I don't care. So I'm a GM or I'm, I'm an owner or whatever. You know, you get that instant bump from your fans and everything, but, you know, they don't think it. The people that sign him aren't going to think about six or seven years from now, really. I don't think they will. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, and I, I agree with you, Buck. I, I remember something when Pete Sampras first came along and he won his first U.S. Open, and, you know, in in a different world, he got rich right away. And Billie Jean King wrote a piece, I think for the New York Times, wondering how her career would have gone if she had been rich after winning her first major championship. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and you can't know how that was going to play out, but you're no, right. No. What, what, Mike, what if, what if you gave multi-year contracts out in tennis and golf and these individual sports? Like, who would you sign an eight-year contract to in, in the PGA Tour, uh, LPGA Tour, uh, the tennis circuit? I mean, have you ever thought about, okay, who, if he was on a team or she was on a team, would you give a long-term contract to? You know, it's a whole different dynamic. And who's to say that we wouldn't have done If you say you don't lose an edge when you sign that type of contract, some type of thing that I, I must do it, I have to do it, you know, uh, everybody says everybody's different. There's not many of them like that, wired like that. Some of them, uh, very few of them even give a whole a different effort level is it effort or is it just i have to do it what what drives you that edge you know i've seen so many guys just lose that little edge of i have to get this done you know what i mean mike oh but buck i'm telling you a year ago People thought Novak Djokovic was done, okay? He, he'd had elbow surgery. His, his personal life was, was in disarray. And, and a year later, he's so clearly the number one player in the world again. And he might be on his way to someday passing both Nadal and Federer and winning more majors than anybody. And, and, I, and I'm thinking if he had been in the middle of a long-term contract one yeah. year ago— Somebody would be saying, what the hell were we thinking giving Novak Djokovic a long-term contract? Yeah, what, what, other long, what other individual sport? Okay, there's golf, there's tennis. What else is there a single uh, one-on-one? Well, those are the those are the two prominent. I mean, tennis is is like as somebody said, boxing without the blood, and and yeah. golf it's yeah. it's it's one on one. Except that as as somebody once said, you've got fourteen clubs in your bag, you've got one hundred and forty other players in the field, and you got eighteen holes and conditions. So it's it's a little more complicated in golf. And and guess who found out? Tiger Woods found out. Buck, yeah. if ten years ago after he'd won his fourteenth major. 
If somebody had told you we'd be having a conversation in 2019 and he, he was still stuck on 14, you would have had that person drug tested a decade ago. Yeah, and Mike, what people know about golf, okay, they get how much money for using some some uh, some company's golf club. They get how much money for using a certain golf ball. They get how much money to wear a certain golf bag, to wear a certain shirt, to wear a certain pair of shoes, to show up at a tournament in Saudi Arabia. You know, so somehow you know they they have that once they reach a certain pinnacle, they start getting things that take away that edge. Hey, I'm making this amount of money doing this regardless of whether I finish in the top five or not. I mean, there's a lot of lures there. It's a, it's a, you know, we'd all like to have that problem. Trust me. I mean, I, I don't know. So it's this interesting uh, comparison when you talk about who you give a long-term contract to that plays an individual sport and then look back at it five years from now, you might go, hmm, I might've been wrong. Talking to Buck Showalter, the Mike Lugan podcast. Um, Buck, I want to ask you about a couple of other rule changes that they have floated. Um, uh, I think shortening the the pitching clock and and a relief pitcher has to pitch to three batters. I, I didn't ask you about that one yet. Well, Mike, first of all, the, the thing with the shot clock, I, I call it shot clock, is a pitching clock. It's been tested. You know, I've been on this committee, and I, all the things that you may question, once you're on it, you understand – I mean, they've been looking at this for three years. It's not something they're just pulling out of the sky. You know, they have to, you know, have this relationship with the players union, make sure everybody's on board with it. And, and you know, they, they can unilaterally impose it, but, you know, they're not willing to do that. They want to keep that relationship with the players union as much as possible. I mean, I hear the conversation, and, uh, but the hitter's the one that's going to have to adjust. Most pitchers are not going to have a problem with the pitch clock. They're not going to have a problem with the pitch clock. The hitters are the ones that are going to have to make an adjustment. And everything's going to be fine until an umpire goes, that's strike one, before the guy's even in the batter's box. Especially, you know, and there's some thought about not having it the last three innings. So, you know, that's debatable. But, you know, that's – you had, you know, what we found out in order to get people in the box, you're going to have to say ball or strike. Because giving them a $1,000 fine or $500 fine, it, it, it doesn't matter. And it's like Barry Bonds years ago. There was something about how they, everybody wanted to wear the uniform a certain way like they do in the NBA. He wrote them a check and said, here, don't bother me the rest of the year. I'm not doing that. <laughs> it, it doesn't really matter. So uh, as far as the, uh, you know, the shot clock, I think the hitters, I, I don't think that's going to be that big an adjustment for people. But the three batter minimum, you know, the roster, you know, going from a 10 to fit back to a 15-man DL, would, you know, a lot of teams are using the DL as like a taxi squad. If your bullpen is not optionable, it's gonna it's hard to survive in today's game. You can't have seven guys in your pen or eight in a lot of cases, and none of them are optionable. Because you know you play a doubleheader, or you get it rained out, or you somebody gets hurt in the first inning, and you got to use your whole bullpen up. If you can't move those guys back and forth between AAA, you've got a real problem. Okay, then what do you do? You find a guy that's got a blister, and and it's been bothering, but it's maybe not DLable, but you DL in any way so that you can bring up a fresh arm. You know, you'd rather have his blister instead of his shoulder blown out because you're using it too much. So, you know, there's a lot of dynamics there to to uh, the roster and everything. It's very easy just to say that. But I understand what they're trying to do and keep from making – you know, people don't understand. Managers don't like going out there and making pitching changes. You'd, you'd like to stay in the dugout. And every once in a while, you go up after a game, you go, wow, I never left the dugout. <laughs> What's that like? You know, and so – Guys don't like making the changes, but they're also paid to give their team the best chance to win a baseball game. 
And, uh, you know, these one-on-one situational relievers, you know, the niche for them might be taken away from jobs. You're going to have to practice saying IL a player as opposed to DL a player, you know, because it's now the injured list. It's Yeah, yeah we don't want to be politically correct in every, every way we describe Hey, I got another question for you about last year's playoffs because there's stuff that just happens in baseball that that, that I love because the, the thing that sports still does breast, and we've kind of talked about this in different forms today, is it surprises you. Were you so, the, the guy who I think even more than Price or anybody else was the dominant pitcher of, of the postseason was was Evaldi Buck. And did, did, did you already know how filthy his stuff was? Well, there was no doubt about that part of it, but you started looking. How does it, you, you watch him for an inning or two, and you always go, how's this guy get hit? How's this guy get hit? And all of a sudden, whack, whack, ball four, a uh, little bit of a, you know, uh, you can tell he's lost a little edge there emotionally. And once you got that under control, and the, when he started throwing a 2-1 breaking ball for a strike and 3-1 and different, what have you, because you can't, you know, you gear up for one pitch with him you can't you got to commit totally to one pitch because you can't handle both of them because they're the, the reaction time is so so late and the recognition of his breaking ball is so late but you watch him from afar early on and you go how does this guy ever get hit and then you start seeing the little things at, at that level that add up he start he solved that part of it and he had such a great buffer he was a little engine that could he wasn't put on too high a pedestal he was a great sign by Dabrowski, they're what ifs. That's what people miss about big payroll teams, is that they're what ifs. Uh, they're they're able to pay for the what ifs that in case somebody gets hurt or something happens. You know, they're not having to go down to Pawtucket or Portland in order to do it. You know, they've got that what if coming off the disabled list, and they're able to rehab those guys. But they did a great job on his medical, and uh, you know, we'll see what, what this year brings. But he was in a great. He was in a rocking chair there. He, he, they put him in a great position that he had nothing to lose, and he let it fly. And he got that look in his eye, that confidence level going. And that time of year, things it's such a snowball time of year, September and October. You know, everything just seems to snowball good or it snowballs bad. And that, that's in the big markets, that happens a lot because there's so much emotion in the park. We're talking with the great Buck Showalter on the Mike Lubica podcast. More with Buck in a minute, but first this from Geico. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to Geico.com and 15 minutes. That's all it takes. And in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Tell me about another guy because you managed him. And it, again, it was just one of the wonderful baseball stories of the year. And that's Steve Pierce. Oh, geez. People that, that that's, that's the guy. So that's, that's what I'm talking about with uh, you know, teams that get the Steve Pierces of the world. I remember one time we had. Uh, Scope was out in Baltimore, and Steve had placed in first base in left field. And he's always taking ground balls, and you know he's he's so receptive to anything that helps the team. You know, I, I can tell you, his mom and dad did a great job with him. He grew up in the Lakeland area. He just, you know, he was so appreciative of everything that he got from the game. And I said, Steve, you ever play second base? He goes, No. I said, What do you think about tonight for one night going out there? I want to get all the bats in the lineup. I can defend for you late in the game. He goes, let me go take some ground balls. And he walks over, yep, I can play second base tonight. <laughs> okay, here we go. You know, he, he, he was able to sacrifice some of his individuality for the sake of the team. That's, that's something uh, that, that is hard to find. You know, it's not I want you to sacrifice your personality or your flair or whatever. It's just what, what, is, what do you need me to bring tonight for us to win a game? And Steve, you know, he trusted 
us and but Steve's very trustworthy. Plus, he's a really good hitter. I mean, he he can play about anywhere. He's got that. He fit what they were trying to do. You know, it allowed them to get Steve Pierce when, you know, Moreland and Pierce and Pierce could play anywhere. What do you need me to do tonight? You know, what, where do you need me to play? You know, nothing. People that have had Steve Pierce in a locker room and interacted with him every day, it doesn't surprise them at all. And they're all pulling for him because you want guys like him to do well. He's a, he was a treat to manage. And Mike, Mike, he was scrounging for a job for quite a few years. He played for every team in the American League East. That's a record that may never be broken, Buck. Well, think about this, Mike. But that's all you need to know. Look how many teams didn't bring him back. You know, they didn't get that. And a lot of that had to do with the injury. Steve had a lot of forearm issues. He had some wrist issues. You know, he had a lot. Because of the way he plays the game, he's just going to always have, you know, he's a 300 to 400 at bat guy. You try to play him more than that. He's going to have some breakdowns, and he knows that. You know, he knows who he is, and he knows who he isn't. And he—he's—he's he's, you know, he's one of those rare guys that's going to play. Used to be play till forty. Now, if you play till thirty-five at a high high level, you know, consider yourself lucky. You know, they talk about all these velocities. I was talking to an old scout the other day. So, you know, Buck, these new machines—they measure the ball as you release it, where our machines back back then measured it as it crossed the plate. So, some of these velocities you're seeing, he was making the point in his mind is you're seeing higher velocities because they're measuring out of your hand instead of when it crosses a plate. I thought that was interesting. Talking to Buck Showalter, i got a few more minutes with my friend Buck Showalter on the Mike Lubica podcast, and Buck and I were talking on the phone the other day, and he was talking about, you know, packing and unpacking things and, and, and taking things out of boxes that, that he uh, hadn't seen and the things he's gotten to do in the run-up to spring training that he hadn't gotten to do lately. And, Buck, you, you were talking so fondly about one of a, a, a person that we both agree was one of the great baseball men of all time, and that is the late Gene Stick Michael. Yeah. I mean, I was just funny the other day, I was running across some pictures. I get to understand, this is the first time I've had everything underneath one roof in 20, 30 years. I took 10 boxes of books. By the way, Mike, your book made the cut. I kept it. But uh, <laughs> you, uh, this picture of Gene and I on the backfield with two coaches around, and this was early in the morning before the players even came out, just talking the game, talking the players, talking about ways we get better and things we need to focus on. And then a picture after a workout of him in my office just sitting there talking, you know, about things and interacting. And Gene was the best evaluator of uh, talent especially infielders I, I ever saw. I mean, he would say something, and I would go, he, I remember him go, Buck, come out here and watch this Steve Howe pitch. Oh, it's Gene, we're not going to add Steve Howe. What, what? Just come just come watch him pitch. I throw a little bit. Uh, hey, uh, I think uh, Kevin Elster, Kevin Elster's shoulder's not working. Well, just go watch him catch the ball. Uh, Mike Gago can play shortstop. Are you sure? Wayne Tollison, Pat Kelly. I mean, he, he got things about players other people didn't get and funny and never took himself too seriously. I remember he was trying to trade Danny Tarwell, and I told him he couldn't trade Danny Tarwell. I said, there's no way you're going to be able to trade him and get anything. And he made a bet with me, and uh, I won't get into the bet, but uh, he won, and he made sure that he reminded me of it as soon as the game was over. Uh, I, it might be in a book one day. But he, he was a special trader of players. I remember when he traded Steve Sachs. Uh, he got three or four players from the White Sox. That was one of I couldn't believe that he was able to do it. But he did it because he had relationships with other general managers and they trusted him. They, you know, they weren't trying to win a trade. They were trying to get something for their team and they were willing to get something, give something up 
because they had a vision of what it would do to their club. And, you know, Gene embraced, you know, he knew O'Neill. You know, back then, trading Roberto Kelly for, for Paul O'Neill wasn't popular. But Gene knew what he was getting. You know, he trusted Lou Pinella, what he said about Paul O'Neill. I mean, he knew that people knew. Mike, what do you like about spring training the best? And from your perspective, you go to spring training, what do you like about it? Buck, the thing that strikes me every single time I go to the park, and I um, uh, right now over on the East Coast, I've got the the Nationals and and the Astros about twenty minutes. the uh, The Mets are about an hour up the road. The Cardinals and the Marlins are about a half hour up the road. And there's not a day that I go to the ballpark where I don't stand outside and look at how happy people are to have baseball come into their life in Florida and Arizona. And Buck, you don't see any unhappy people. I'm not saying people are unhappy when they go to the ballpark in July at Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park. That's not what I'm saying, okay? These are the happiest fans I know about in sports because um, it's like it's like that old story, Brigadoon, the town that only came to life once every, whatever it is, 100 years or something. And they know that their time is finite with baseball and they embrace exactly. it. I love it every time I go. Like that's what people say. Well, you know, I miss spring training because, you know, the first two weeks when you got the whole club there, the 50, 60 players, I, you can't find me in my office. I love being around the locker room, walking around the complex. You know, somebody's out at 830 working on the backhand play on the backfield. You, you, you go out there, the dew's on the grass. There's a newness to it. There's. And on the flip side of that, the last week of spring training, not a whole lot of fun because you got to start. You know, I see it when I, I've got uh, 65 players. I know that I'm going to break with 25, and I might have to have a lot of tough conversations. But you don't think about those the first two or three weeks. Then all of a sudden, the reality of cuts start coming in. But, you know, managers today, that's one of the few times they really get to coach. That's what you miss, miss about from the minor leagues is, you know, you get to coach the game. You know, you get to go over the 16 fundamentals and make sure and, and you know that if we do these right, we're going to be able to win more games. And players are so receptive at that time of the year to things because, one, they're trying to make a club and they want the team to be better. There's new packages that you're opening and uh, things that you're finding out that you didn't know. And, and uh, you're able to see what other teams have done and you, you know that other things are going to be available. You're trying to make the pieces fit. And understand what pieces are needed for your club. That's what Gene knew so well. He knew that a Deion James or a uh, a backup catcher, a Mike Stanley, ends up being this. He knew, hey, we need this that this guy's going to bring. And you know, understanding how the pieces fit, what managers and general managers and coaches know, and the people that bridge the gap between the analytical part of it and the on the field part of it really get ahead of the game. And that's what the Red Sox did last year. They, they knew, you know, they had the resources. Okay, they'll be the first to say that. But, you know, there's a lot of people that have resources and they don't spend it in the right areas to make the pieces fit. The Red Sox were very talented. They were able to sign good pitchers, but the pieces fit of who they wanted to be and how they wanted to play the game over the long season. You better be in baseball somewhere, so I want you to enjoy this time that you're having with your family. But some team ought to know that 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 what what I've known for a long time, you're the best baseball man I know, the best evaluator of talent I know. And uh, wh- however you intersect with this baseball season, I hope it makes you happy, pal. Well, I appreciate it, Mike, and I hope you know I hope every manager has a great year of coaching staff. I believe me, you know the 
the pain that that causes and you want everybody to do well. I'm pulling for every one of them and I really mean that because you know I talk to the managers, I get calls here and there and uh, we bump some things around and I hope they all have great years. I do. But God bless you, Mike. It was good talking to you. Give my love to Angela Buckshaw Walter on the Mike Lubiga podcast. No better person to discuss the start of spring training with them than my friend William Nathaniel Shaw Walter. Uh, this is the kind of conversation we have here. This is why we're going to twice a week and uh, continue to download, continue to subscribe, and we'll be back with you on Thursday, everybody. The Mike Lupica podcast is produced and distributed by Compass Media Networks in conjunction with Hiltzik Creative. For iPhone users, go to the podcast app and search the Mike Lupica podcast. Click on the Mike Lupica podcast icon and subscribe. For non-iPhone users, you can listen on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform.